0: hello sir how you doing good good how are y'all good Good evening, welcome to our Wednesday evening Bible class. We've been in the book of Romans for some time, and at this point in our study, we are in chapter 14, Romans chapter 14. I don't need to prove to anyone that one of the critical areas of our walk with the Lord and with each other is how we treat each other. Especially when there is some disagreement, but it isn't the kind of disagreement that needs to be debated or result in division. Now, if someone starts spreading unbelief, for example, that Jesus isn't the Son of God or that baptism is irrelevant, we respond to that error we do not tolerate. But tonight, I'm not talking about things in that category. There are differences and disagreements which do not rise to that level. And the fact is that we are not the same. We are not clones. Unity doesn't mean we all have identical opinions and preferences. There are different personality types, different uh, areas where debate is not the answer, patience is. And we must be considerate of one another in that realm. Remember back in chapter 12, love one another with brotherly affection. Well, God knew we would need instruction about these matters, and that's given in Romans chapter 14. We'll read the first 13 verses after prayer. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for thy grace that affords us such an occasion as this, to read and study and learn and resolve to do better as disciples of Christ. Help us to take this instruction to heart and make consistent application in our relationships with each other. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Romans chapter 14, listen to the first 13 verses. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Are you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written... As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Here's the first word that you will not be surprised to hear me bring up about Romans 14, verses 1 through 13. Context. The church in Rome and in other places in the first century, during the time the New Testament was being written, was populated by people from very different backgrounds we immediately think of Jews and Gentiles. But within those two groups, there was much diversity. Some was generational, some geographic, some differences having to do with levels of growth and personal opinion. So you have people of various cultures and different backgrounds now together in local churches. Now, consider this question. Do you think when people obeyed the gospel, when people became Christians, came together in local churches, do you think that all the components and habits of their background just suddenly disappeared? Let's understand and assume that sin was given up. That is a necessity when you obey the gospel, when you become a Christian. You give up everything that is wrong in the sight of God. So let's assume that happened. But what about cultural differences and customs and religious menus and things like that? Not sins, not violations of God's law, but practices that are different from others who might be sitting right next to you in the local church. Did these Christians all become United culturally, or in all their personal preferences and customs. That is so unlikely that we dismiss that possibility. And this innocent or neutral diversity, I will call it, could be illustrated right here among us. What two people in this auditorium right now have exactly the same personality? Well, there are no two. What two people in this auditorium approach everything in exactly the same way? Well, there are no two. We don't like the same music, the same sports teams, the same food. We were raised in different places and different cultural backgrounds. We talk different and we learn in different ways in our preferences for Bible translations and hymns and preaching styles we are not identical we are churches populated by people from different backgrounds united in faith but still very different people now it was that way in Rome People obeyed the gospel, giving up sin and being forgiven by Christ, being baptized into him, and they came together in local churches. But there were there were differences that did not pertain to any violation of God's law, but differences. It was that way in Rome then, and it's that way in Rome today. Did you know there is a good, sound local church in Rome today? They have an evangelist, they have elders. I know an evangelist who travels there and spends a lot of time there. And he sends out reports about the church in Rome that I happen to get in the mail today. And this preacher has mentioned to me that there is great diversity in that local church today. In nationality, in educational level, in spiritual growth, in personalities... Well, in the church at Rome in Paul's time, as people came into that group, they brought with them various different elements of their background, just as we do. And so they had to learn how to get along with that neutral diversity. Not diversity in doctrine or practice, but the neutral diversity. And they had to figure out how to do that without letting the specifics of their diversity become issues that would tear them apart. That's the context of Romans chapter 14. And Paul illustrates it immediately in the opening verses. Vegetarians who do not suddenly become meat-eaters when they're baptized. See, they don't have to. Meat-eaters who do not become vegetarians Suddenly, when they're baptized, they don't have to. Paul is addressing all that, that needs to work in attitude so that personal opinion and cultural background doesn't keep everybody torn apart. So that people are not always arguing and trying to judge each other and change each other concerning things of no spiritual consequence, unnecessary controversy and conflict has to be dismissed. And that's one of the primary functions of Romans 14. So I'm going to do something a little different tonight. Instead of my takeaways coming at the end, my takeaways are going to be filtered in to our study of the text. So we'll look we'll look at what the text says and see how it lends itself to good attitude about things that should not matter among God's people. Number one, on some matters, we simply need to leave each other alone. My responsibility here is to speak as clearly as I can about this text, and your responsibility is to listen as attentively as you're able. So let me put it this way. If someone is lost in sin, I'm going to try to get them out of sin. I'm not going to regard sin as a matter of indifference and no consequence. I'm going to make certain that person hears the gospel. I'm going to do my best to speak the truth to the person who is lost in sin. I'm going to do that with meekness and fear, uh, without badgering or agitating, but with teaching and influence. If I have reason to believe that someone is moving away from God and therefore facing eternal punishment, I'm going to speak to that person and seek in wise ways to lead that person to the truth, to the Lord. But if there is no sin, just something different, I need to leave it alone. I need to consider it none of my business It is necessary because of God's word here in Romans 14 and other places. And it's necessary because we can't get along in any other way. If I try to turn you into me, and you try to turn me into you, it's just going to be constant conflict. It is not my task to make everybody like me. Some of you may know I'm from Arkansas. So there's certain things about my upbringing and location and culture peculiar to me. And I cannot come to South Texas and impose all that on somebody. It is none of my business. And to impose my culture on others is damaging. It's unrighteous. And I'll tell you something else, it will not work. It serves no spiritual purpose at all for me to take my personal preferences and opinions and make those... The standard. It doesn't bring anyone closer to God to bring their total lifestyle closer to mine. If somebody were to agree to adopt every opinion that I have and every preference that I have, would that be of any value to me or to that person? No. If I were able to turn everybody in the church into a clone of me, well, let's don't even think about that. So, listen now to the first three verses. As for the one who is weak in faith, that's accommodative language. It's one that somebody might consider to be weak in faith. For the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Now let's apply that and realize that in matters not legislated by God, we simply need to respect those who differ and leave them alone. Even when we think, I know better, I have the better way. Patience and tolerance needs to be active in matters of liberty. And that's the teaching of this passage. Uh, factor into this Hebrews 10.36 that says we have need of patience. Questions or comments before I go further? Robin. In verse 14, uh, speaking of the dietary thing, I would presume these are Jewish Christians that are still going by Old Testament rules and I mean that seems like it could be the case. Right, it was not the case that in Acts chapter 10 when Cornelius was converted that every Jew needed to eat bacon or start eating bacon. There were Jewish dietary background that they brought and there were Gentile dietary rules that Gentiles may have had. Paul is saying that shouldn't be a matter of division between you I wonder if some of them were still holding to the old special days or celebrations in the Old Testament. Well, let's assume that they were in terms of the day, but without animal sacrifices. Of course, animal sacrifices would be contrary to the fact that Jesus is the sacrifice. So let's assume that they were not doing that But they they just said, this is the day that, uh, that our people came out of Egypt. And so, well, that's fine. That's fine. Especially if you don't impose that on somebody. So you have dietary regulations and days that people may set aside for something on the calendar. But if they don't impose it on anyone else and don't tell people that it's a condition of salvation, it's fine. Yep. All right, number two. If God has received someone, we certainly should. Did you hear that last phrase in verse 3? For God has welcomed him. Or in the New King James, for God has received him. So if God receives the conscientious vegetarian, and God receives the conscientious meat eaters, if God receives them based on the activity of their faithfulness to Christ, then we certainly should receive them. I don't want to be in a position to you where I reject somebody God has received. Uh, I don't even need to know what your menu is or the significance that you attach to certain days or kinds of food. It is none of my concern to find out all the details about what you eat and then run it through my filter. Uh, it's, if it's not sinful then I need to leave it alone. And that's the point that Paul is making here. God is not waiting for me to decide if you meet my approval. God says he accepts people who obey Jesus Christ and abide in his teaching. If that's good enough for God, it certainly should be good enough for me. So mark this down, even if I get people to conform to me, that doesn't mean God accepts them. I don't get to write the law. I'm not the standard. Preachers used to say, in matters of faith, unity; in matters of opinion, tolerance. If God has received someone as his child, I don't need to pass them into oppress uh, them into my mold. I need to accept or receive those received by God. And if I want to know who God receives, Here's the standard. Here's the book. All right? Questions or comments? Number three. In these kinds of things, we need to have a sober and humble sense of who we are. Look at the first phrase in verse 4. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? See... I'm not your master and you're not my master. So it's a good question. Good question because Paul wrote it, but it ought to ring true to Christians. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? That single verse is rich in good instruction for every one of us. And I like the way it begins. It is immediately a statement against arrogance where it says, who are you? In our vocabulary, we have the phrase, Who do you think you are? And we use that when someone asserts their right to control someone they have no right to control. It is designed to bring us to our place and perhaps to our knees before God. Who are you? Now let's explore that. Who are you? We are followers of Christ, not each other. We are servants of the Lord, not each other. We are to be encouragers of right and discouragers of wrong. We ought to seek and save the lost. We are to be givers and teachers and good neighbors and all of that, but we are not masters of our brethren. And we do not own our brethren. And we must never think and act like we are the masters. Look at the whole verse. This is in the New King James. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand for God is able to make him stand. If I'm concerned that someone will not stand before God because they do not follow me, I'm way off. If I'm concerned that someone will not stand in judgment before God because they don't follow me, I'm way off. Who am I to have such a thought? Indeed, we must stay focused on who we are. You with me? Number four, very important. Be careful, don't cause someone to stumble. Let's go back to Luke 17. Nothing that we read in Romans is unconnected to the teaching of Christ in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It all has coherence. So often when we're in Romans or the other epistles and we're looking at ethical instruction or ethical injunction or matters of attitude, it can all be discovered as founded in the teaching of Christ. So in Luke 17, 1 and 2, he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him... If a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea, then that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. What I really needed there was just those first two verses. When we do or say anything... That hinders people in their response to God. That pushes them away. That discourages them from faithfulness. That makes them think that they are stupid. Jesus says, woe to you. Now, here in Romans 14, let's read again. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. That's verse 13 conclusion to this section let us not pass judgment on one another any longer but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother it says decide or the new king james says resolve or the new international version says make up your mind There must be this steadfast personal determination not to put a stumbling block or cause to fall in our brother's way. So if I say to my brother, you know, your religious menu that you follow is just stupid. You ought to give that up. In fact, I'm going to show you how stupid it is. See, I'm going to eat some stuff that you won't eat. I don't have any reason to do that. I don't have any reason to offend the conscience of my brother. If he's made determinations and decisions about his menu, then I need to let him alone about that. It must be our purpose of heart to help each other and encourage each other and pray for each other to be patient for one another and give people room to learn and grow. Maybe, you, maybe your thought genuinely is... That they don't need to be doing that. But if it's not a sin, then leave them alone. Don't intrude. This is about care and discipline based on love for God and love for His people. And when I try to impose my opinions and walk on my brother's liberty and control people and look down on people because I'm so smart and I'm so mature, well... I may not be mature in attitude. And God sees all of that. Even if you never say anything that your brother is stupid. God sees it at this level and it doesn't play well with him at all. This says resolve not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. All of us would learn a valuable lesson and be better, better help to growing disciples if we would learn, may I be so bold, sometimes to just shut up. Sometimes we just need to shut up. Now, if somebody is moving away from God, can I offer that clarity again? If somebody's moving away from God and they're jumping into sin, I'm going to do everything I can to reach them and bring them back. But if it's in this category of differences that do not involve sin, what we need to learn to do is just shut up about that. There is a whole level of Arrogance that we can easily walk into when we think that we must tell everybody all of our opinions and then check them out against all of our body of opinion. I think that's what Romans 14 is about from verse 1 to the end of the chapter. It is to caution us against this whole level of arrogance that we can easily walk into when we think we must tell everybody all of our opinions and then we're going to track them and we're going to watch them and we're going to check them out against the whole body of opinions that we brought and preferences and cultural customs that we brought from Arkansas or... Gentile cultures or Jewish cultures or wherever. Remember what I said in the beginning. I'm probably over clarifying but I do want to be clear in case somebody missed it. Sin requires that we speak up and do all we can to lead the sinner out of sin. But in individual matters of choice and conscience where God's word is not violated even though it may seem odd to us that people are not like us. Maybe it would work to our spiritual advantage and their spiritual advantage to just shut up. A wise man told me one time, in matters of personal opinion, only give your opinion when there is some advantage, some reason, some clarity that is needed, or some question that should be answered. And then, do not force your opinion down their throat. I wrote that down, I don't know how many years ago, and I can't even remember the name of the wise man. Probably one of my mentors in my early years of preaching, but I wrote it down in a column alongside Romans 14 in one of my Bibles that's probably on the shelf now in matters of personal opinion only give your opinion when there is some advantage some reason some clarity that is needed or some question that should be answered and then don't cram that opinion down their throat there's no obligation to let tell everybody what we think about everything you ever met somebody and as soon as you meet them maybe in a church building or In some event, they want to go through a list and tell you everything they believe about everything. And it's information that you don't need. It's not designed to save you for anything, but they want you to know. Now, here's what I believe about this and this and this. And wait a minute now, I've got a dozen more things I need to tell you about. There's no obligation to tell everybody what we think about everything. Because in fact, in matters that we are discussing tonight, oh, listen to this now, in matters that we are discussing tonight, you may change your opinion. Are there opinions that you've had earlier in your life that you've changed? You don't have to raise your hand because I know every single one of you have had opinions earlier in your life that you've changed now consider this scenario what if you took those earlier opinions that you now think are foolish and what if you had imposed those opinions on 200 people an approximation and now in 2017 you you stop and think you know that was not well grounded uh, that's foolish. Now, what do you have to do? Call up all those people and say, "All right, now that that opinion that I crammed down your throat fifteen years ago, I've changed it." See, if you've imposed it on all those people, you got to get back in touch with those people and re-straighten them out. What a mess that is! So, speak God's truth on every subject. God is spoken. And let's don't be so anxious and militant to speak our opinions in such a way that we intimidate people about things that are not matters of faith. Sometimes, with some things, the best policy is to shut up. Speak God's truth but let's don't be so anxious and militant to speak our opinions in such a way that we intimidate people into thinking that they're matters of faith and that they've got to embrace it. Sometimes just shut up. I need to apply that. So let's be extremely careful with good discipline and self-control. Could it be that we need to use mirrors more than binoculars. I'll give you another second or two on that. Because when I first had the thought, I had had let it marinate a minute. Could it be that we need to use mirrors more than binoculars? Binoculars, you know, you're checking everybody out. Looking around, checking everybody out. Mirrors pertain to self-examination. All right, here's what I want to do. I want to read Romans 14, 1 to 13 again with everything that we have factored in as it pertains to the context and main idea of the passage. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written... As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Two or three minutes left. Questions or comments? Here's an illustration. And I've probably given you this before. If you remember when I've taught this before. I knew of a Christian one time. Who taught the gospel to someone of the Mormon persuasion. And this was many, many years ago when to Mormons. Drinking ice tea was a sin. You may remember that or you may have encountered people who had that view. Well, so this Christian taught the Mormon out of that persuasion into New Testament truth. And this person who had been a Mormon for many, many years obeyed the gospel and became a part of the local church. In course of time in fact a few days or weeks somebody had this previous Mormon into their home and came in had him at the dining room table and brought in a big pitcher of iced tea and set that down in front of them and said that's not wrong and you need to drink iced tea What do you think? Doesn't Romans 14 apply here? Is it a requirement of God that you drink iced tea? No it isn't. So why would you impose that on someone when all of their, if that person decided never to drink iced tea until they die? Would that be a sin? No. It is not a requirement to drink iced tea. So why shove something in someone's face when they're coming out of a background and they're just learning to serve the Lord, why take something that is not essential and shove it in their face? I think the person who did that stood in violation of what Paul is teaching about matters of opinion in Romans chapter 14. They considered this new Christian to be weak in faith. Well, what you do is you let them grow in faith. And if they never drink iced tea, they can still go to heaven. I know those of us from the South may grapple with that. But you can go to heaven without ever drinking iced tea if you don't want to. All right, that's Romans chapter 14. We'll finish the chapter Sunday morning. Thank you.